This morning we start a series, a mini-series, uh, to build anticipation of our celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ uh, at Christmas. Instead of allowing the celebration of Jesus' birth to sneak up on us uh, on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, what we would like to do is we'd like to take the whole month of December and to focus on certain Old Testament texts that were meant to point the reader uh, to Jesus Christ and his uh, coming birth. And so um, we're going to start our series off this morning by looking at Psalm 146. So I invite you to turn there in your Bible, Psalm 146, a song of hope and help in God. Uh, as you turn there, let me just say that uh, I've always found preaching from the Psalms to be a bit challenging. So you can pray for me this morning. Uh, it's quite difficult, in my opinion. There, there are a whole host of reasons. One, these are originally intended as either prayers or songs to be sung. And I'm not a good singer, so don't get your hopes up. Uh, however, uh, it's also difficult because sometimes for me it's hard to find the internal logic in the psalm or uh, to discover the main purposes along the way. But I became convinced a few weeks ago that God wanted us to look at a psalm this morning. And so we're going to obey. Psalm 146 and trust him. When we come to the Psalms, we must remember again that they're prayers or songs in which the psalmist invokes his readers to pray or to sing with him. Psalm 146 is a song of praise to God and a call to hope and to find help in the Lord. I want to read this whole psalm with you. It's just 10 verses. Uh, we'll read it. I'll read it out loud. You just follow along. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as, as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. But blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer before we look at this psalm. Let's pray. Father, I would pray that you would give us eyes to see, eyes to see the meaning of this psalm, and then to apply it to our own hearts and lives. Would you give us as well strength to walk in humble obedience to this psalm and try to live in ways that would reflect its meaning and teaching as followers of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we get right into the psalm, I want to take a moment uh, to just let you know there is a bulletin insert if you want to follow along that way, if you follow that way. I haven't done that for a while, but you can take notes in that way if you'd like. 
And I want to set Psalm 146 in its context a bit, uh, give you a little bit of its background so you can see what's going on and understand more of the significance of what is happening here. Uh, first, I'd say this. Uh, Psalm 146 is the first of the final Hallel Psalms. The word Hallel means praise. First of the final praise Psalms in the Psalter. They start in Psalm 146 and go to 150, and they all start the same way. In the English Bible that you're reading, it probably translates one word as praise the Lord. You see that? Psalm 146 starts praise the Lord. Psalm 147, praise the Lord, 148, and it continues through 150, praise the Lord. Those three English words come from the Hebrew equivalent uh, of this, it's one word in Hebrew, and it's, uh, you can translate it, hallelujah, hallelujah. You might wonder from time to time when you hear, you know, a good Baptist say hallelujah, what in the world does that mean? It means praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And so these are the hallelujah, final hallelujah or hallel psalms. And while the background of Psalm 146 is somewhat disputed, I think a a strong case can be made that Psalm 146 and 147 were originally co-authored by two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. Sometimes we think of the Psalms as Psalms of David or Psalms of Solomon, but in this case, I think it's the Psalms of Haggai and Zechariah. In the earliest versions of this that we have in Greek and Latin and Arabic, it's ascribed to Haggai and Zechariah as the author of these psalms. And so, again, while there is some dispute, I think that they are perhaps the the original authors. Well, who are Haggai and Zechariah? They are prophets, two prophets, who ministered to the Jewish people just before they returned from exile and during their return from exile in Babylon. And so they would have written this psalm, in my opinion, while the Jews were still suffering under the Babylonian captivity. They've been deported away from their land. They long to get back. They long for things to be normal. They want to get back to their home. And so these psalms are written uh, to help them while in exile and also as soon as they get back. The original readers then of the psalm, or maybe you'd say the original singers, were awaiting being gathered and brought home to Israel. And so for them, this is a period of low morale. There is grayness in the air. No hope in a foreign land, a foreign country. There was, uh, they were in a crisis of life. These are the original singers. Have you ever been in a crisis of life before? Perhaps you lost someone, a family member you were not expecting. Or you lost your own physical health, got a report from the doctor. Or you lost a position. What do we do in moments like that? My soul grieved with a pastor that I heard of this week who recently came home to his house to find his baby infant had passed away. And as I heard the story of this preacher and how he handled this situation, after the baby was gone, taken away, he led his family in hymns of praise to the Lord, his wife and children. 
What do we do when we're in a crisis of life? We find our help and our hope in God. And that's what this psalm is here to teach us this morning. I think the best way to look at this psalm is to examine its two parts. Two parts. First, in verses 1 and 2, there is an opening call to praise God. Let's look at verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. In this psalm, the psalmist, maybe Haggai or Zechariah, first calls others to praise God, the congregation. But then I love what he does in the second phrase. You see how he goes, he repeats, hallelujah, hallelujah, or praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And then he says, oh my what? Soul. What he does with that second address, oh my soul, is he's invoking praise in the depths of his own soul. In his innermost being as a psalmist. This is a self-invocation addressed to his own soul. He then, in verse 1 and 2, he, he vows to offer praise that lasts as long as his life does. You ever made a vow like that to the Lord? He says, as long as I have life. And then in the second verse, he says, while I have my being... That could be translated, as long as I have breath. I think this is a commitment of a mature follower of the Lord who says, as long as I have one vital breath left in my body, I will praise the Lord. And so the psalmist here very personally invokes worship from his own soul and makes deep commitments to praising God. I think this should be our commitment as well. May the last words that we issue in this life be, praise the Lord with my final breath. This is the opening call to praise. After invoking himself and the congregation to join him in praise, in verses 1 and 2, we come to the second main thing that he does, second main point is the psalmist proceeds to give three reasons why we should praise God. Three reasons why Israel, exiled Israel, should praise God. And reason number one, at least according to the way I would summarize it, verses 3 through 6a, I would summarize it this way. We should praise God because God is not bound by human weakness or limitation. Okay, so look with me at verse 3. We'll read through this text. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there's no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. But blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. I think this reason can roughly be divided up into two sections. And the way I see this in my Bible, if you highlight the words in verse 3, in princes... In verses 3 and 4, he's going to tell them, don't put your trust or confidence in human rulers, in princes. But then if you highlight in verse 5, at the end of the verse, in the Lord. So what the psalmist is doing is he's momentarily reflecting on the fact that Israel might be tempted to trust in some sort of earthly ruler for their deliverance, for their return from exile, trusting in princes. Uh, And he says, that's not the right object for your confidence. But then he goes to trusting in the Lord. So we look at this quickly. 
Verses 3 and 4, we learn the wrong object for Israel's confidence. They should not hope in human beings. More specifically, a text says, in princes. It's interesting to me, some scholars actually suggest different Babylonian rulers who had made promises to help Israel and allow them to return, but had died. Imagine how the Israelites might feel about the foreign rulers over them. They would think something like this. If, if only a new ruler would come who would listen to us and care for us and provide a way for us to go back home, everything would be okay. So the psalmist describes here in this text why Israel should not put their trust in princes or in a ruler. And I would just summarize it this way, verse 3. You should not trust them because they will not deliver you. The text says, uh, don't put your trust in a prince, in a son of man, a son of Adam, who will not give you salvation. They cannot give you salvation, so don't trust in these rulers. And then in verse 4, you should not trust them because every human ruler is ultimately weak. That's how I take verse 4. You look in your Bible, verse 4. I mean, we text people, so you just kind of look through there. And he says uh, that they're, uh, how does he describe these rulers? Their breath departs, they return to the earth, and on that very day, their plans perish. Every human being is ultimately weak. One commentator described it this way. He says their plans and projects die with them. So verses 3 and 4, he says, don't put your trust in princes. Instead, verses 5 and 6, put your trust in the right object, the right person. And he describes him as the God of Jacob, the God of your forefather Jacob, who has delivered his people throughout the ages. Put your trust in the God of Jacob. Put your trust in the Lord, his God. That's who someone should trust in, Yahweh, his God. Then he continues to describe God as the one who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. In other words, what the psalmist is saying, maybe Haggai or Zechariah is saying to Israel is, you should put your trust in the one who has power. The power of the creator. Now, before we keep going in the text, I just want to think about this for a while and its, its application and implications for us as New Testament followers of Christ. I want you to notice here that the psalmist does not tell them to act as if their exile does not exist. Uh, he is not calling them to blind optimism that ignores their plight. Okay, have you ever met someone like this? I mean, your life's falling apart and they're like, oh, it's not that bad. You, know, you, still got, you still got some things going for you, and they're trying to encourage you in that way, but that's not what the psalmist is doing here. He's not saying, you know what, your plight isn't that bad. Your exile, your forced labor is not that bad. He doesn't do that. But he does call them to a mature resolution that looks beyond the facts of their situation, the appearances of the things around them, to see the light behind the clouds to see the power of the creator God who can truly deliver them from oppression and exile. And we should consider this truth as well in our own dark situations. I'm not to sugarcoat some of the things that perhaps you've gone through, maybe even this week, last month. 
losing friends, physical health, persecutions and sufferings. But too often, I think when we are put in situations like that, we're tempted to trust in and rely solely on the wrong sort of resources. We do this when it comes to our health. And so parents think, if I could only find a talented enough physician to care for my child, then maybe they'll be healed. Or we think, if I could just find a doctor with enough experience dealing with this type of cancer, maybe I'll be okay. Or we do this with finances. This is the way we think about finances. We can't pay our bills because we've overextended ourselves or because we lost our job. We have no vehicle. And so we think, if only my wealthy uncle or aunt or parent or grandparent would develop a new burden for me and my family, everything would be okay, right? Do we think this way? I think sometimes we think this way about spiritual endeavors as well, the church. If only we could get a gifted musician in our church, then everything would be so much better. If only we could get some high-income, talented professionals who could give more, then we would be fine. Or parents, think if only if I could find a cool youth pastor who could relate well to my child, then maybe my child would be okay. Or if only we could have a better building and some people to pay for it. And so we combine all these things. If only this or that. What we're really saying is if only we could get some princes. Some human beings to fulfill and meet our needs. Not too many as a church, maybe just a few new couples. Then our church would grow and, and, and everything we imagined for it would be accomplished. But, but men and women in doing that sort of thing, we are distracted from growing deeper in our faith in God. We are kept from robust faith in the creator God and are consumed with our own princes. I say this, Colonial Baptist Church, may this not be true of us. May God be our prince, the significant one. May he be the one who draws our attention and imagination and our devotion. We don't need expert doctors. We don't need wealthy aunts and uncles. We don't need wealthy givers. We need God. We need God. This reminds me of a psalm. You don't need to turn there, but I was reading it. Just, you know, this contrast between a son of man, a prince, in, in whom there's no salvation, and God, the creator, full of power. Psalm 103, I'll just read a few verses, verses 15 through 17. As for man, that are man, human ruler, as for man, his days are like grass. He, Flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone. And his place knows it no more. But, the psalmist says, David, 103. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. It's like one everlasting isn't enough. 
to describe the everlasting covenant love of God. From everlasting to everlasting, his righteousness to children's children. This keeps going on. So we come to this text, the psalmist is reminding us why we should praise God. And the first reason is because God is not bound by human weakness, like human leaders and princes. Second reason is verses 6b through 9. So you look in the middle of verse 6, and the way I'd summarize this reason is because God helps the weak and lowly. Look at verse 6, middle of the verse. Who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry And then five Lord statements. The Lord sets the prisoner free, opens the eyes of the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down, loves the righteous, watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Here we go very quickly through these phrases. We get to focus on the character of God, I, I say, in ten phrases. The first three all fit together. You can see that. In your Bible, if you've got an ESV, you can see everyone starts with the word who. They fit together, the first three. And they describe God as one who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. Again, we won't look at everything here, but the first phrase I think is important to understand. And it's it's harder to understand. Who keeps faith forever. The way I translate this is, this means God keeps true or firm. Maybe you'd say faithful forever. He keeps true or faithful forever. And I think the rest of the passage explains how God goes about remaining faithful or true forever. He does so by taking care of the many different types of disadvantaged people found in the text. The oppressed, the hungry, the prisoners, the blind, the bowed down, the sojourners, the widows, and the fatherless. This is our God. He cares for them. And then the next five go together as well. They all have the same subject, the Lord or Yahweh. So the psalmist is telling us instead of trusting in princes, we should trust in, the way you can do this is uh, trust in the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Five times trust in Yahweh for God sets prisoners free, opens blind eyes, lifts up those bowed down, loves the righteous, and watches over sojourners. We'll look at everyone in detail, but I'll just remind you of the original context again with the Israelite people in exile. I think when we see the phrase, lifting up the bowed down, we might think of someone who's depressed and lowly, and I think that that's true. But I think in this context, it goes even deeper than that. Those who are bowed down are those under the weight of exile, slavery, and forced labor. Lord lifts them up, Israel. The word sojourner speaks of a man or a woman away from his homeland taking refuge somewhere else and somewhere else's, someone else's property. Again, this is Israel exile. And the psalmist says God will care for them, for all the disadvantaged of them, for the lowly, the crippled people in Israel. He is their only hope in these dark times when in exile and under judgment. In verse 9, there's one type of person that he won't care for, the wicked. The word wicked could be translated the bent or the crooked. 
God will bring them to ruin, but he's a friend to the righteous and he will deliver Israel if they will just trust in him. And so we should praise God or trust him because he helps the weak and the lowly. And finally, verse 10, the third reason he gives for praising God is we should praise God because God reigns forever. Verse 10 says, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. The everlasting kingdom of God is a well-established theme in the Psalms. We don't have the time to turn there and to look at all of these. I'll just say, as you go through the Psalter, the Psalter can be divided up into five books and it, or sections. And in each section, in, with, without fail, in every section, you will see at least one statement about the fact that God reigns forever and ever. This is a very strong theme in the fourth section of the Psalter. You could look through there. And, and so, no matter what your theology of the kingdom is, one thing you better get right is that God is always and forever the king of the universe. It's a theme of the Psalms. I, I read to you, matter of fact, just flip back there. We're in the Psalms, Psalm 29, verse 10. I think these Psalms speak of the universal kingdom of God. He always and forever will be king. Psalm 29, verse 10. You say, well, that's what you say about the the kingdom preacher. I don't know if I agree with you on that. Well, look at Psalm 29, 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king for how long? Forever. Go back to our text. On your way to our text, stop off in Psalm 145. Our text is Psalm 146. Go to 145, right before this. Right before this in the Psalter, Psalm 145, verse 13. Psalm 145, 13. Your kingdom is, this is a Psalm of David. Your kingdom, David speaking to God, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. Okay, and so this is a theme of the Psalter and the scripture. God has always been and forever will be the enthroned king of the universe. And as we look at Psalm 146 verse 10 that's what the psalmist is given as a reason to praise him. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, he's addressing people of Israel, Zion. Your God, O Zion, to every generation. And so we should praise him because his kingdom is forever and ever. So we close this morning before we go to the Lord's table. I want to ask you to do something for me, a little different closing today. I want to ask you to stand if you're physically able to and to read this psalm together out loud. I'd like to read this psalm together out loud. The way we're going to do this, if you don't have an ESV, I know there are about 400 of them found in the, the church uh, below the seats. Okay, and so if you grab one of those, I even looked up the page 525. 
Okay, page 525. While we will not sing this together, may our recitation of this together out loud be a prayer to God praising him and as a reminder to us to praise him even in our dark times. He truly is the only source of hope that we have. So look with me at Psalm 145, verse, sorry, just 146. Don't don't want us speaking in tongues this morning. Psalm 146, verse one. Let's read it together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I invite you to have a seat. To that we say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So we transition to the Lord's table now. We can't help but think about how God delivered Israel and us. He did this through the birth of a son, the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus was a son of Adam, son of man, but he was also the powerful son of God. I invite you to turn with me as a meditation for a communion to Luke chapter 4 this morning. Luke chapter 4. We read this psalm about the Lord delivering the oppressed, the blind, the disadvantaged, the crippled, the fatherless, the widows, and we cannot help but think about Jesus. So we look at Luke chapter 4. I want to read just a few verses with you. Verse 16 through 22. It says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, the gospel, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives 
and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And they began to say to them, today, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all who spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. As we prepare ourselves for communion, we rejoice that in this covenant, the new covenant, that our hope and help is found in God as well, but is found in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, who opened our blind eyes. Men and women, we were dead in trespasses and sins. But God, but God made us alive through the work of Jesus Christ, his son.